Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here this morning. I want to uh, thank you for your patience. You know, we're kind of experimenting since we moved back in here with the seating and blocking off different things and just kind of figure out how we can uh, get people to kind of move to the front. And uh, so thank you for being patient with that. And uh, part of it's me because the closer you are, the easier it is for me to communicate, I think. And uh, so that really makes uh, my job feel so much easier when you guys are a little closer to the front. So uh, thank you uh, for that. <coughs> Do you know what your name means? My uh, name, Jeff, uh, means peace. And the names are important to us, aren't they? Uh, we put a lot of value in names because they have different meanings. Uh, I suppose that's why sometimes people change their names uh, because they want want it to mean something different. Uh, maybe you're familiar with some of these uh, somewhat famous people who have changed their names. Let me uh, see if you know any of these. Uh, Benjamin Kobolski. I'm not sure if I'm uh, pronouncing that. You would know him today as Jack Benny. Or we would have known him as Jack Benny. Uh, next one, Maurice Micklewhite. I think I'd change my name too. You know him today as Michael Caine. How about this next one? Francis Gum. Anybody know who that is? Judy Garland. Very good. I'm very impressed. How about this next one? I'm not even sure I can say it. Ishor Donovich Dumsky. Anybody have any idea who that is today? Here it is. Kirk Douglas. You ought to change my name too, wouldn't you? One more. You might be able to figure this one out. Adolf Schickelgruber Adolf is Adolf Hitler. Yeah, exactly. Well, names are important to God as well. And we began last week to look at some names that the prophet Isaiah gave to Jesus as the coming Messiah. He gave these names because as he spoke to the nation of Israel and predicted the coming of the Messiah, he wanted them to realize that this Messiah would bring them hope and peace and joy and purpose for their lives. And as we reflect on these names this week, I want to remind you that into our weary world, the same Messiah, same Jesus, is the source of our hope and joy and peace and purpose for life. So I want to look again at uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We started last week talking about the first of these uh, royal descriptions or royal titles that Isaiah gives to the Messiah or to Jesus. We talked about last week the first one, Wonderful Counselor, or He is a Wonder of a Counselor. Remember we said the word counselor really could be used as the word consultant in our language today. So God gave us this incredible gift of sending Jesus to be our personal guide through life, our personal consultant, our personal coach. Today I want us to look at a couple of more of these royal descriptions. So let me read this to you again. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now let me pause here for a second and realize that when Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before the coming of Jesus, he said that Jesus would be a ruler to the people of Israel. They pictured king. He also would say in other prophecies later that the same Messiah would have to die for the sake of His people. And the Jewish people had trouble putting those two images together. I guess like us, they tried to put God in a box. And those two descriptions of Jesus didn't fit into their little box for God. Isaiah goes on to say this, And He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. 
So today I want to spend some time unwrapping the, the second and the fourth of these descriptions. I want us to begin with the concept that the Messiah, or Jesus, is our mighty God. I think sometimes we lose sight of the mightiness of God. I think this is one of those concepts of God that sometimes it's difficult for us to get hit to fit in our box that we try to put God in. We have trouble understanding this whole concept of the mightiness of God. You know what the Jewish people did as well? They had a trouble getting their minds around the idea that the Messiah would come as God in the flesh. That He would be more than just another prophet or a great teacher. He would be God in the flesh. They struggled with the mightiness of the Messiah. And I think we sometimes struggle to get that into our box as well. Even Jesus' earliest followers sometimes struggled with this. Listen to what Paul writes in the New Testament in describing Jesus. In one of his books in Colossians, Paul says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ, or Jesus, is the One through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. It goes on to say this, He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through Him and for Him. We struggle, don't we? with this whole image that He is the Mighty One and that He is the One who has created everything in the universe. Did you catch that? Everything that we can see, everything that we hear, everything that we experience, it has all been created by God through Jesus. He is the Mighty One. I think sometimes we're not sure how to even talk about Him, are we? I mean, He is not the man upstairs or the big guy in the sky. He's not my co-pilot. I'm lucky if He lets me ride in the trunk. He is the God of the universe. He is the Creator. Jesus' disciples, I said as I earlier, had trouble getting their minds around this as well. In fact, there's a story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus and His disciples are out in a boat one night now remember, His disciples had already seen Him do some other miracles. They had seen Him turn water to wine and they had seen Him heal some people. But I think they were still struggling with the mightiness of Jesus. This particular night, a, a huge storm comes up on the lake and the boat is tossed all about. The disciples are afraid. Jesus is asleep. They wake Him up and they say, Jesus, save us. And I think Jesus is a little frustrated with them, but He says, peace be still and instantly. The wind and the waves stop. You know what Jesus' followers in the boat that night said after that? They said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Who is this man? And maybe at times we struggle with that same concept. Who is this man? Do you really get the idea of the power and authority of Jesus in your life or do you keep trying to put Him in a box? Let me see if I can sort of expand our horizons today a little bit and talk just momentarily about the 
the universe that we live in. The one that our God created. Maybe it will expand for a moment our, or remind us of His mightiness. Uh, this is a, a quarter. And if you were to take um, our solar system, not our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, but just our solar system, uh, our, the sun and our nine planets or ten planets, depending on what you believe about Pluto anymore. Uh, if we were to say this quarter was the size of our solar system, do you know how big our universe would be in proportion to this? You could lay this quarter on the United States and the size of the United States would represent the size of the Milky Way galaxy that God created. That's how massive in size it is. We've talked about some of these kinds of things before and today I want to show you some different pictures than I've ever shown you and take you outside of the Milky Way galaxy. First, I want to take you to Pleiades. Now, this is a galaxy of stars or a group of stars that are 440 light years from where we are today. Now, a light year is 5.87 trillion miles. So 440 times 5.87 trillion, I have no idea what that is. That's how far away this is. This constellation of stars is actually mentioned several places in the Bible. In uh, Job chapter 9 and Amos chapter 5, it talks about how God created this particular group of stars. Let's go a little farther. Out to the next one. This is Ring Nebula. This is actually two stars. The one in the center is actually dying. And uh, you know the hippies thought they created tie-dye in the 60s? God was way ahead of them. Uh, this particular uh, group of stars is about 2,000 light years away. 2,000 times 5.87 trillion miles. Spectacular, isn't it? But what if we go just a little farther? Let's go 8,000 light years out into space. This is the hourglass galaxy. Do you remember your parents telling you when you were growing up, God is always watching you? Turns out He really was. Doesn't look like an eyeball there. Amazing picture of what God has created. Let's go 28 million light years out. And this is the Sombrero Galaxy. The light wasn't shining on it. Much spectacular. I wish you could see it in my monitor here. Uh, the pictures are amazing. In fact, you can go online, Google any of these, and you can see these images for yourself. Amazing what God has created. Now, bring it back home, though, and let me show you some scenes from right here on the good old planet Earth. Isn't that spectacular? The sun setting there. Or how about this waterfall? Spectacular what God has created. Or one more, just a picturesque view of the beach that we're... We just almost get used to, don't we? Spectacular. And the God of our universe created all of those things. Now, who do we, give him, who do we thank for that, though? Who, who do we give credit for in our regular lives to that? Brian Greene was being interviewed on The Letterman Show some time ago. Brian Greene is an author and a physicist and a believer in the Big Bang Theory. And he was describing all to David Letterman all the stuff about the Big Bang Theory and to Letterman's credit, he listened for quite a while, and then he stopped him and said, let me get this straight. He said, if there was nothing before the big bang, then what in the love of God bangs? He was exactly right. It was the love of God that banged and created all these spectacular things we've just looked at. That was the power of God at work. 
You know what? We understand a small fraction of the how. I'm not sure we have a clue about the why. About the mightiness and the love of a God who would create the spectacular world and universe that we live in. This amazing place that we call home. He is the mighty God. But you know what? Sometimes that mightiness doesn't fit in our box and image of God, does it? You know what? He, he named all the stars. He knows the number of all the stars. And yet sometimes we believe He can't take care of the situations in our life. And God would say to us, don't, don't put your images of failure on me. Don't try to stick me in your box. Let me illustrate the whole idea of sticking God in a box in another way. This is a little file box that I have. And in here I have some, uh, some index cards. And, and I think this is how, kind of how we treat God. We, uh, we have all these things that we hear about God and we're taught about God, but, but we go also go through life and we collect from all kinds of places all these ideas about God and we kind of neatly stick them in a box. And there's some cards I have in here. Like this first one uh, is the idea of mercy. And we, we know what we hear about God's mercy and God's forgiveness, but we also kind of write down our own thing. You know, God, I know you say you'll forgive me, but God, really... All of the terrible things I've done and thought in my life, I'm not sure you can really forgive me for that. And we stick that away. And then maybe we've got a, a card called faith and we've written down what we really think about faith and we think, boy, I wish I had the faith of so-and-so, but God, I, I'm, not, I'm just not sure. I, I'm just not sure that I really believe that you can, you can do all that. Or, or what about this card maybe that we would write power on? God, I know that You're powerful, but I'm not sure You really have the power to work in my life. That's what we'd write on the back of this card. How about when it comes to, to God's love? You know, what would we write on there? God, I know that You say that You love people, but I'm not sure You could really even like me. I'm not a very good person. Or what about a card maybe that we would write ministry on? and We know God says, hey, I can use everybody. But we look at ourselves and go, what, what, God, really, what do I have to offer? What, what about when it comes to trust? God, I know I'm supposed to trust You. But, you know, I think I'll just go with that thing that says, God helps those who help themselves. And we have all these ideas of God that we've sort of collected in our own minds and we stack them neatly and we put them in our box and we believe that's how God works. Until something happens in our life, maybe it is a crisis, and God steps in in some really big way, does something really big in our lives, and God says to us in that moment, I am God. You can't treat me like a formula. You can't project your inadequacies on me. You can't assume that I can't do something simply because of your past failures. I am God. And He takes this box and He turns it upside down and scrambles it all around for us. Same thing happened to Job in the Bible. You know his story probably. Even if you haven't gone to church a lot, you've heard people talk about Job and all these terrible things that happened. His world got turned upside down and he questioned God and struggled with God and listened to his friends. But finally, at the end of the story, God steps in and does some big things. And Job says, God, you know what? I realize you can do anything and everything you say and nothing and no one can stop your plans. So have you tried to put God in a box 
Have you put limits in your life on what God can accomplish? Maybe it's time to take those mental limits off of God and realize God can do anything. And if you'll allow Him, He can do anything with your life. He can do anything with relationships that are broken. He can do anything with life that is out of order. He can handle our finances. If we'll just allow Him, our God is a mighty God. And when Isaiah said that the Messiah would come and would be a mighty God, he was talking about Jesus working powerfully in our lives. Don't try to squeeze God in a box. Let Him be the mighty God. And this Christmas, when you see the baby in a manger, be reminded of the mighty God. Now secondly, and very quickly, let me also deal with this concept that He is also the Prince of peace. The same God who had the power to create the universe that we live in has power to bring peace to our lives. Now I know when we think peace, when we think peace, we think uh, lack of conflict and quiet, don't we? But the word that's used in the Old Testament for peace really is much bigger than that. The word shalom indeed means a lack of conflict. Shalom also means this picture of, of health and wholeness. It's a picture of completeness. It's the idea of living a completely fulfilling life. Shalom really is the idea of allowing God to make our lives complete. It was Jesus who ultimately brought peace. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away, it's talking about the broken relationship that we have with God because of our own sin before we accept Jesus as our Savior. He says, you were far away, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the the two one, who has brought us back into that relationship with God and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. And you can go on and read some more of that later. It it is Jesus who restores that relationship, who brings us back into that right relationship with God. Maybe it's clearly illustrated in this story. Don Richardson in the early 60s was a missionary to the Swahili people in New Guinea. Now the Swahili people were were several tribes that were constantly battling each other and they were human cannibals. Their plight was terrible. But Don Richardson and his wife moved there and tried to reach those people. The, The tribes were fascinated by them, curious about them, and so two of the tribes actually moved their villages within distance, viewing distance of Don Richardson's hut. He tried to reach out to them. He struggled to learn the language. He had struggled to try to find ways to explain the concept of God to them, but just couldn't seem to reach them. And finally, after watching these tribes continue to battle each other and continue to kill each other, he and his wife said, you know, we're we're just done. We're leaving. But the two tribes protested and said, no, if you will promise to stay, we will promise that tomorrow we will make peace with each other and there will be no more war between us. So they said, okay. The next morning, the two tribes lined up in front of each other. And one father came screaming out of his hut in agony, holding a newborn baby. 
And with his wife running behind him, screaming, saying, please don't, he ran over to that other tribe and presented that baby to one of the tribesmen and said, this is my peace child. I give him so that we will no more war. He will have your name. And that was the end of it. He left and went back. Followed by a father from the other tribe who did the same thing with his infant son. He came running out of his hut over to the other tribe, took his child and handed it to the tribe and said, this is my peace child. He will have your name and there will be no more war. And the custom was that as long as those two children remained alive, there would be no more war between these tribes. Now, if one of them died, all bets were off. But as long as they were alive. Don Alexander, or Don Richardson that day, as he watched that, realized, I know now how to explain to them about Jesus Christ. And several months later, he began to explain to them that Jesus had come to be the peace child for them. That Jesus had come to take their sin upon Himself and to give them His name. And hundreds of those Sawi people began to come to Jesus. And several years passed, and it was an amazing Christmas that followed. After several years on Christmas, those two tribes came together to celebrate Christmas. And one of those tribal leaders read this Scripture from the Bible. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm convinced today that if we would allow the Prince of Peace to rule in our hearts, that peace would come sweeping into our little corner of the world. And we'd experience the kind of peace and fulfillment in every area of our lives that God intended when He sent Jesus to become the Prince of Peace for us. Do you know how we access that peace and that power in our lives? One of the first steps is to make Jesus our Savior. And the second step beyond that is for us to begin to ask for that power in our lives on a regular basis. It's to pray. It's to simply say, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm turning it over to You. And I'm asking for the Prince of Peace and the Mighty God to work in my life in a powerful way. Sometimes we don't have that power at work and we don't have that peace simply because we haven't asked for it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You that Jesus is the Messiah who came to our weary world to bring us peace and hope and joy and purpose. God, would You forgive us when we try to squeeze You and Your Son into our box and make Him make You fit the way we think life ought to be. And God, would You help us today to take Jesus out of the box and let His power rule in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.